Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Everybody, we're back once again. We took another week off. You know, we're busy. I was traveling the world as I seem to be doing something. Okay, I literally went to Indiana. Not very far. Not as exciting as I wish, but you know, hey, travels travel, and it just didn't work out last week. So, but we're back. Another episode of Securing Bridges. I think we're on 23 or 24, something like that. I don't know. It doesn't matter. We've got a lot of episodes, and we've had a lot of great guests. And this week isn't going to change any of that. Our guests in the past, a lot of times I've had a lot of, you know, as the trailer says, you know, senior and executive security leaders, and that's that's the same. But a lot of those, uh, a lot of times, you know, we've, we've had people on from you know, really big organizations, I think, and with a lot of focus on, you know, that, that sort of enterprise environment, as we call it, or, you know, some of those discussions. And so this week, we're going to focus on security leader in a very different environment. Um, you know, kind of that small and medium business area. And so with me today, I've got Ford. Hey, Ford, how are you? Good. How are you, Alyssa? I am doing great. And super glad you were able to join us. Um, can you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so I've been in IT since about 2005. Um, I was a student working uh, at the help desk at the university I was at. So and I've I've worked in and run help desks off and on since then, did some uh, some consulting for managed service providers, done some system uh, system admin work as a senior systems admin for a manufacturing company. Um, and currently I'm a senior systems engineer and infrastructure owner for an AI company and manage all the on-prem infrastructure, all of our SaaS apps, uh, assist with designing and implementing some of our different cloud environments and then do project management, change management, um, and then just some mentor uh, mentorship items for our different team members that may be a little junior or are trying to transition into uh, some different IT areas. Okay. And so, I mean, that sounds like a really full plate. And then we add into that, you are responsible for security in your infrastructure as well? Yeah. So, you know, we, we had, uh, we have a security team for, uh, you know, for with our developers for a lot of our applications. But on our side, on the IT side, uh, internally, you know, IT or security is part of the IT org. So we have um, we had a person. We're actually searching for a, a new person now to take up that role. But um, a lot of what we do on the IT team is is trying to keep security as part of whatever it is that we're deploying or managing. So. A lot of what I do does does have a security focus to it, but that tends to not be my only focus. I just have to incorporate that into really everything I'm working on. And what you described is something I think a lot of people in the industry are familiar with, and we kind of wish, I guess, from a security perspective, we often wish it didn't exist, but that's the reality is that a lot of times security does fall to IT, and security is not a dedicated role for somebody, but rather something where 
like you said, you're, you're just incorporating it as part of a grander strategy. So what does that kind of look like for you? I mean, are you, is it like you have secure architecture that's part of an overall architecture plan or is it not even that formalized? How do you, how do you even get started in that? Well, I've got a bunch of post-it notes that are just stuck to my monitor about, you know, the best practices of what I know. I'm just kidding. It's it, a lot of it comes from a lot of research, you know, having read a lot of a lot of different things. I've always been interested in security and uh, really got I, I did have some experience with it early on doing some uh, probably more questionable things and and learned, you know, about networking and, and uh, stuff that way. Um, but I'm I'm always keeping that stuff in mind. So for me, you know, we maybe we get a request from an internal user or another team saying they need, they have this need, whatever that is. And like, okay, well, we can help with that. We've either got a tool or I've got some ideas. I've used some things before. So I, I come up with, you know, whatever that solution looks like. But then I also have to think about, okay, how can this be compromised? Um, what are, you know, different attack vectors, stuff like that. And just try to be aware of really it's low hanging fruit because we, you know, we're doing best effort. We're not, you know, you know, we're not, I'm not an expert in security, but I know some things and, and try to make that best effort to make them happen. But whenever I'm planning out a solution like that, I just always try to think about, you know, what, what are the security concerns here? Is there, you know, PII or do we have to meet any sort of, um, you know, regulations, any um, thing like that, you know, and, and just try to keep it, keep that in mind as, as I'm designing stuff. And uh, it comes up all the time with other environments that, that we have, uh, whether from an acquisition or like a legacy environment from a few, you know, years back that, you know, well, it gets, it gets brought up in conversation. And so I go look at it and I'm like, oh man, there's all of these, you know, whatever it is, instances out on, out just publicly available. There's no firewall. There's no nothing. It's just wide open, and then have to like retroactively, you know, try to assist in those situations too. So it's it's kind of from both ends. And this is kind of the the really important perspective I I was hoping we could share today because, you know, and I'll admit for me included, I think a lot of us in security, you know, security practitioners, blue teamers, whatever you want to call us, it's really easy to get so caught up in, you know, what are the latest frameworks and best practices and, you know, NIST CSF and all these things that float around in our heads with all these really formalized security programs. It's easy for a lot of us to lose sight of the fact that a, a grand majority, I think, of cybersecurity doesn't happen in that space at all, right? I mean, we, we think about big financials and what they're doing and, you know, other you know, very security mature organizations. I'll, I'll use that term loosely just because it floats around. But the reality is a lot of times security is, you know, implemented. And I think most often the way that you're talking about where it's not, we don't have all these, like what you just described to me is threat modeling, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't call it threat modeling because you don't really, I mean, I think of threat modeling, I think of a big formal program that, you know, how we implement threat modeling in you know, thousands of applications, but your, it sounds like to me, your situation's uh, you know, more reliant on like just tacit knowledge and, and what you've developed having worked in the company for a while, your knowledge of the business. Exactly. You know, and as, as we've been interviewing people for the security role, um, you know, we're, we're looking for one specific thing and 
well, that's not true. We're looking, we're looking for a specific person and uh, it's, it, it has a, you know, that person has to have a background in, you know, some infrastructure stuff. They need to understand, you know, some networking and, and servers and, and how that works, how the business uses those things, have some cloud knowledge some scripting, stuff like that. But it, it, it all kind of works together. And, and for us, well, the, that, and that's not to say that every, you know, all the security roles should, should have that experience, but what we're trying to get out of, out of this role, we kind of want that. And we're hoping that we can find that person that has, you know, has a background in it so that they know, you know, they, they're not just throwing out some framework. They have to know how it applies to an actual real network, how to retrofit that in, you know, uh, it, it has to come from a lot of experience. And like, I happen to have that, but not everyone does. I've been doing this for, you know, like I said, 2005. So, you know, I, I have some background there. I'm also a little devious when it comes to, you know, breaking into things, just disrupting things. You know, that's in, in my world, I have to think about how could this break? And then I'm like, well, how could I break it? You know, if I'm sitting there thinking about it, I just do it all the time. Uh, so without having, you know, both some of that, that, uh, gathered knowledge and experience and having that mindset, you know, it's, it can be harder to, to approach these, you know, these projects, these solutions or, or networks and, and think about the security uh, as you're doing it. And that's gotta be tough, honestly, because I mean, as you describe that role, you know, in, in the, again, the big corporate world, we think about those people as like really highly skilled, long tenured folks, who we generally give like a security architect label to, right? And it's, and that label tends to describe somebody who has seen and done a lot of different things, has a broad knowledge across and, you know, can really see that big picture, kind of like you just described, process it and figure out how to secure it and whatnot and, and build a secure architecture around it. But yet where now that becomes a very highly compensated individual in a corporate environment that uh, does that like make that same kind of person in often in many cases unattainable for a smaller organization that maybe doesn't have the budget of say a large bank or something yeah absolutely you know and for us that that role you know uh, it was almost entirely security focused but um they weren't they, they were you know that that role was also going to be implementing you know some some other things you know they were deploying servers to put you know uh, vulnerability scanners on or things like that so they had they had other roles as well and um you know it did require that that broader skill set and, and like honestly if i spent all of my time doing just security or even just part of what my my real job is day to day you know it, it would leave a, a void in the in the team would have to make up for that and that's another headcount. So, you know, for yeah, for for customers our size or, or companies our size, it's it's hard to to justify that spend. Um, one person maybe, especially if they're they're pulling double duty, but you know, having a whole team like it's it's just really not not doable for for a lot of uh, smaller smaller companies. Yeah, and and that brings up an interesting point and in, as well, especially when we're talking small, medium-sized businesses, you know, the business is running. Whether or not there's a security team there, the business is running. And, you know, we can argue all day about how risky that is or, you know, 
is that the right, you know, shouldn't every company be focused on cybersecurity and everything else? No, every company is focused on making money. And, yeah. you know, to, to bring in a security team that's dedicated only to security can be exceptionally difficult when there's not a strong, you know, revenue-based business case for that. So yeah. um, how do you find that kind of communication within your org just to even justify, hey, I got to find somebody with strong ex- security experience to add to this team. Does that, how do, how do you even approach those conversations to, to gain that justification? Well, for us, um, you know, we have to basically frame it around money, you know, making money, profits and uh, stuff like that. It, it's um, basically keeping the business running, avoiding some, some scandal, some headlines, you know, that are gonna, you know, look poorly for us. If, if we had some sort of incident and that's really, really where it is, um, you know, that no one, not that, not that people don't care, but when, when you start messing with their bottom line, that's when they really start to listen. So, you know, we're one of the, one of the products that we do make is, um, you know, is a, um, it's, it's like an EDR kind of, so it would be ex- especially bad if, we ended up having some sort of security incident and it's like, Hey, aren't you running your own EDR on your, on all of your stuff? It's like, <laughs> yeah, but it didn't catch it or no, we're not, you know, none, neither one of those is good. So no, there's no good uh, message there at all. <laughs> right. Right. So it, it's, it really is. It's that conversation that we've had to have. Um, and then lately as uh, this, this company is um, where I first experienced this, but having cybersecurity insurance, that's a new thing, you know, in, in my experience. Um, so that's, that's come up and, and our insurance company is basically telling us that if you don't have a security program of some kind, whether it's one person or a whole team, then you're going to pay a higher premium. So that's those two things, I think. And, and kind of, you know, we talk to our, um, you know, our, our upper management and the executives and kind of explained, you know, the, the, what we want out of securities, not to tell you no all the time that you're doing stuff wrong, make you feel bad or make you jump through hoops. We, we want to make it so that the security portion is more transparent. Um, you, you won't even know that we're there once we get it set up. Of course, you know, we'll kind of move through that pain period um, of doing some discovery, some new processes, policies, whatever it is. But once we're established, the goal is that the security program is just in the background, you know, yeah. reviewing logs, there, if there is an incident, of course, but but in the background, keeping the environment more secure, reducing that liability for the company, um, and really just empowering the rest of the company to build products and generate revenue. So it was just framing it in a way that spoke to their their hearts and wallets. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the the cyber insurance thing, and it, it's interesting how much cyber security insurance policies and providers are able to actually influence an organization like, you know, large or small. I mean, I can tell you from my organization, you know, certainly there's, there's actions that are influenced and in how we go about different things because of, you know, requirements that come to us from our insurance carriers. So you, you mentioned that they're, they're pushing for like a security program. Who, who gets to own that then? I mean, is that fall to you? Is that something they've, they put on the CIO or how does that even, if you don't have a CISO and a security team, what is, where does that land? Right. So that ends up falling on my boss. Um, 
you know, he's he's the VP of uh, of internal IT as well as uh, like products and security. So that's it falls on him. Uh, he he decided that, that would just be part of the IT org, really, or the IT team. Um, but um, it was it was brought to him, I think, kind of as an afterthought. They I don't know how it actually came up um, with our, our management, but you know they he just basically got roped into a meeting. It's like, hey, you know, this is new for us. We're doing cybersecurity insurance, and uh, we need to you know this is the all the documentation that was provided to us by our insurance company, the requirements, the you know whatever it was, and here you go, figure it out. And the reason I asked that, I kind of want to explore it, because one, I think there's a lot of people that are, you know, maybe in positions in smaller organizations in particular, where that's a question, right? Like, mm-hmm. who, who owns this? And I think, you know, you, you mentioned, okay, VP of your your internal IT is the one that's owning it. And that's, that's how we end up with CISOs oftentimes reporting to CIOs and so on as organizations grow and whatever. And I, I think... That that's one of those one of those um, organizational structures that gets derided by security people, but a lot of times it can be a natural fit, and it can be the right fit. I know people worry about that conflict of interest, but I think what you've just highlighted is how in a small organization, where else is that going to go? Yeah, absolutely. It has to go somewhere. I mean, there's there's only so many technical people that can take care of it. Um, and even at a company like ours, we I th- would say probably 85 or 90% of our staff is ex- extremely technical, um, you know, between data scientists, developers, DevOps, ProtOps people. Um, th- there's a lot of very technical people, but I don't think that it fits in with their role. I mean, the, yes, they. I think they should be, uh, they should be implementing, you know, best practices, you know, security wise into what they're doing, which is a whole other topic. but. Um, they they can't make decisions for the internal IT infrastructure, so it has to come from the people that can. And uh, when you're small, you're a small team, you really have to have to kind of take on all of it. So Kevin actually said something. I was all like prophetic. He said this just as you were getting started in that, talking about the the human side of it, and you know, obviously infrastructure that's a risk, technology is a risk, but there's also the human side of it. How how do you address that from your perspective? I know you just mentioned you've got a lot of people who are really technical, but yet you've got to somehow bridge into their organizations, hey, this is what's going on in IT, this is what's going on from a security perspective, here's how what we can work together and so on. So what does that kind of look like in your scenario? Sure. So let me scroll down to the section of my notes called the hot take because I, I was jotting some notes down uh, the last like two weeks. And it was just... I love this, man. I guess you can come prepared with notes. That is incredible. Love it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll go off on a tangent and I don't want to, you know, forget that one like spicy topic that I really wanted to just throw in there before I pieced out. Um, no, but the, the it's not probably not that hot of a take, but that the technical users are are more risky to the business than non-technical users, at least in my my experience. And again, different than uh, I think what a lot of your other your guests have, have had. But you know, we we have non-technical people that you know they go through phishing uh, campaigns, training, uh, some like basic cybersecurity, um, new hire orientation type training. 
um, they don't want to mess that up because then you know the scary IT person is going to come visit them and take away all their stuff. Here's like a pen and paper. You can't use electricity anymore. Like it's going to be bad in their mind. So they're they're more cautious at least. They pay a little bit more attention to some of those things. They click. Uh, now they also aren't aren't touching some like really important systems. They're not deploying stuff out into the wild. So I think that's probably where the other the other side of technical users being a high risk comes in. You know, when you have developers or DevOps folks that deploy you know, Kubernetes clusters that have publicly facing interfaces, uh, websites, whatever, those are just going to be more more risky in general. But if you have somebody that doesn't necessarily have any sort of security knowledge, you know, maybe their experience so far has been deploying like internal, you know, internal systems, dev systems that, that don't touch the internet. So maybe their experience just hasn't shown them, you need to think about these security things when you're deploying something, you know, you need to put a WAF in front of, in front of this, or, uh, you know, some sort of load balancer with a firewall and stuff like that. They just haven't had to think about it. So, now suddenly they're on a team that's deploying to prod and they're just following their same their same practices they're like yeah i know how to do that let me just do my thing and it ends up maybe not being as secure so i think that's that's where that risk comes in you just have you have people that either haven't had the security experience or maybe they just think they know everything and they're deploying to prod and that's i mean i i phil said it and i've got a perfect story the from a former employer where this is exactly the case. You know, it was like we had, it was a senior VP or something over a, a business line who sent us this report of a phishing attempt. And you're looking at the phishing email like, wow, this is actually really impressive. It was a really tight spear phishing campaign. Um, really, really, really impressively crafted fish and they caught it. Meanwhile, the people who show up the highest on the list of clicking on fish tests were folks in our own security team. Like, and it's like, okay, well, why does this happen? And I think, yeah, it, it's two things, right? I think, you know, there is that sort of, well, I'm technical and I know this, and I'm guilty of that sometimes from a security perspective when I'm going through like security awareness training, right? Like, why do I have to do this? I'm a security professional. I know all this. I'm the freaking CISO. I know all this, but, you know, so I think that attitude plays into it. And also it's those, it's those technical folks, you know, thinking about like your, your DevOps teams and so forth, who also know how to circumvent things, right? So even as you start to put controls in place, they're the ones who are just going to get annoyed by it and figure out how to circumvent it. Whereas people with less technical knowledge might, you know, look at that and like it, it's not worth it to them to try to figure out a way around it because, you know what, forget it. I just get this out of my way. And so I, I think it, you know, is it a spicy take? Maybe, but I also don't think you're wrong based on just what yeah. I've seen at former employers. For sure. And, and sometimes too, it's, it's, um, you know, bypassing those security best practices. Uh, it, it may have ended up, or it may have started as, you know, let me just test this real quick. I'll fix this before, you know, if it works, I'll fix it before, you know, moving forward, before it gets deployed, whatever. But then you have six meetings after that and the coffee wears off and then you don't touch it again for two or three days. Next thing you know, it's still in there. There's a, you know, a, a, a unhashed API key or something just sitting right there and, and you know, causing some problems. So it, it could also be just be that you just don't come back to it later. Um, 
you know, and it, I do it all the time. I've, you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of like the API work I've done, I, you know, I'll just put my key right in the, right in the code. Cause I'm just like, let me just get the syntax down, like make sure this works the way I want. And I always, I delete them, but it's like that, it's that easy. You know, it could, yeah. if, if I had left it there and hadn't, hadn't been thinking about it and just committed that, you know, uh, into Git, then it's like, whoops, I've got a, you know, I've got a problem now. So I think it, it can happen that way as well. But, um, I, before I forget, I did want to say your your story about the the phishing stuff. It reminds me of our last security guy. His second week on the job, um, he crafted a beautiful phishing campaign geared at the IT team and uh, got all of us, I think, except for one person. And it was very well done. Uh, and he may actually be watching this or he may watch it later. But uh, uh, I, I bring it up all the time. Um, whenever we're talking about his replacement because it was good and we all I, all of us got the only person i think that didn't get it uh, he was he was up from his desk helping some users so he just wasn't at his computer and he saw all the you know the chat messages later and i think that was his saving grace he just wasn't wasn't at his computer so always be the last one to click you'll be the safest but uh, yeah, no, that, that's actually interesting because it brings up something I hadn't considered before. But with that attitude being maybe the cause of some of that, what better way than to craft a really specific, well-crafted phishing test aimed at your IT people, aimed at your security team that gets them, right? Because yeah. now it's like, well, hey, look, y'all, even you can get caught up in this. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be you know, some, another annoying pet peeve of mine, stupid user, right? That we all like to point at it. It's us. And look, right. there's an example, you know, not to shame anybody. I mean, that's because that's a big thing for me with fishing is like, do not use it to shame people, but use it for what it's, you know, everybody needs a little bit of education in their own way, including the security team. And maybe that's the bit of education they need is to be reminded that, Hey, this could happen to you too. It, it absolutely was. Uh, we all brought shame to to our team, and uh, it was it was bad. We were, uh, yeah, it, it was just we were. Uh, you couldn't really blame anybody though, because like in a bad way, like, can't like give each other a hard time because we right. all did it. But um, you know, it, it it was a good reminder for us. Um, you know, he he came in and one showed us that he actually could do some stuff. He wasn't just doing some blanket you know fishing campaign deals, but. You know, it was it, it reminded me just to be more vigilant of those things, things that I, you know, I, I wouldn't normally consider um, if, if one of my coworkers sent me a link in, you know, in, in, in chat, I probably would you know, just click it. Um, but after that, you know, every time that guy sent me a link, I was like, is that a phishing attempt? Should I should I report this? Should I open this on my sandbox machine just to be sure? Like every link, he's like, no, I promise I'll never get you in Slack. But, you know, it was, <laughs> it's one, it's just one of those things. Like now, uh, even though, you know, I've run through the, the, the default phishing training and, and campaigns and stuff, and, and they're so cheesy for the most part. And it's just like, oh, this is, this is terrible. But that one was actually really well done. Um, you know, it was it was one of those things where you think about it now, you know, like, okay, I I am not, you know, immune from this kind of stuff, even though you know that in the back of your head, but you know, getting fished by by one of your new hires is uh it kind of it kind of hits differently. <laughs> yeah, I mean for sure. And it's you know, 
again, you know, phishing campaigns can be done one of two ways. We can do it really intelligently and make the goal of it to educate people, which means we target the, the specific type of learning they need, which means maybe we don't do broad security, you know, phishing campaigns across the entire organization. Maybe we tailor them and focus them on a specific business unit. Or we can just do the broad swipe here, do this. And if you get caught, you have to do training, whatever. And it, we lose such an opportunity there yeah. um, to teach. And so I think what you just brought up is a really important point. Organization, large, small, anywhere in between. It, it's, it's remembering that the goal here of any type of security awareness or bridging is to educate people. And yeah. so you have to come to to their playground and play by their rules to understand what they need to learn and how to teach it to them. Absolutely. And that, that experience and, and just having him, you know, as that new hire kind of, it resulted in two, two things related to that one. Uh, we decided that we should probably, um, you know, take away all administrative access from the IT staff, just in general, no, no admin access anymore. Um, obviously not possible, but it did kind of start us down a road of, of removing people's abilities to do a lot of stuff outside of, um, uh, I won't say like what the system is, but like a system where you put in a request to, you know, I need this deployed, I need to make this change, whatever it is. And the system uses, you know, all of its ties into different things to, to carry that out. So it's, you know, auditable, um, trackable, a little bit more secure. You have to go through some some verification processes and uh, and stuff before it can happen. Um, but the other the other thing was once once we started thinking about things a little bit differently, we ended up interfacing with our other business units more. We started getting more involved in in their deployments, like their Kubernetes deployments and stuff. Working you know working with them to kind of explain, hey. You got to put this thing in front first. You can't just be on the internet, you know, wide open like that. You know, let's help. Let us help you do that. We'll come up with, you know, some guidelines, some architecture. But like, let's let's understand what you're trying to deploy, what the goal is, how it works, and then we can have a conversation of maybe you should consider doing these things to to make it more secure. Um, and, and here's how you would implement that as code, so you don't even have to really do anything beyond just, you know, building a template or something. You know, it gets deployed every time or or us integrating, you know, maybe like container security into their pipeline. You know, it's just part of the process now. Um, so it it helped us there. We ended up ended up being more involved in in those other teams and, and trying to help them uh, help them be more secure, which is ends up being better for the IT team too. I, I mean, at the end of the day, that's why security teams or security people exist. That's why there's a security function of whatever type within an organization is we're there to, to try to teach these people. And I think, you know, you mentioned it early on, getting away from that structure, that impression of being that department of no, right? Like the ones who are there to, you know, stop thinking of security as an oversight role. That's one that's kind of been... Mm -hmm. a, statement of mine like security is not oversight we're a cooperative effort with the rest of you know the business the product deployment everything else we're just part of that and i mm -hmm. think you know you get a unique perspective of that because you're a little more tied into that by being responsible for infrastructure responsible right. for security and then having to work with the business teams to understand what the heck they're trying to do and how to secure it yeah, that doesn't mean it's been easy though, and, and entirely successful. There's still um, 
there's still some holdouts and, and people that uh, I had the response of, um, I can't figure out how to make that work. So I'm going to keep doing it the way that I'm doing it. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's not a good answer, but here we are and they're still doing it that way. So uh, there, you know, there's just lots of work to, to be done on that front. Lots of, of different teams, different um, environments to that are all a little bit different, unfortunately. So we have to kind of hit each one up before we can, you know, call ourselves good. But um, it's, uh, you know, people are still resistant to it. It's like they, they just either don't want to either look bad because they don't know how to do something or they don't understand what we're trying to do. Um, and I mean, half the time, I don't know what I'm doing either. I'm like, we're going to figure this out together, but we're, we're going to get it and I'm going to help you. But it's like they, they don't want to hear it or they're just too busy or they think they're too busy uh, and don't want to spend any time on it. But, um, you know, I've never felt the pressure of a deadline more than when there was an outage of some kind due to my mistake and having to fix it. So like you really, you do have the time that you just don't, don't want to make the time for it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's a fair thing too, right? I mean, I try to avoid using fear and uncertainty and doubt as tools, but sometimes just pointing to the legitimacy of, hey, you know what, if this saves us from, you know, two outages later on down the road because somebody with inappropriate access deleted two million records, um, speaking from experience, uh, <laughs> from back in the day, um, you know, or whatever. I mean, those types of stories, it's like, yeah, look, this can actually save you time, but it is hard um, you because know, we're trying to solve problems that aren't easily solvable, just like developers are trying to do when they've got to use a story that doesn't sound like it's easy to to figure out or to build. It's We're all trying to you know solve hard problems, and for the engineers, for your DevOps people, whomever, they're kind of getting pushed by dates and deadlines and you know the next sprint, when is the sprint over, things like that, and so you know, it, it puts you in an untenable position of, hey, I know that, you know, that deadline's coming. I know this this problem we're trying to solve is holding us up and you see a way to go to get to production without solving this problem. That's kind of a, I think you, you've captured where I think the biggest struggles come in as we try to bridge from security and IT into those engineering development spaces. Yeah, I think... It a lot of what we have to we have to just settle on is you know best effort you know we've we've given given those those business units the the information you know hey this is a possibility uh, we've we've put some some things in place that are requirements you can't deploy something um, but you know unless you kind of do these basic things but we can't we can't make them do it really um, at least in these you know smaller companies where there's there's no hard mandate of you must do these things or you can't deploy so you know we, we're doing the best that we can, and I think that that's that's a very common uh, common sentiment for small IT teams and the S and D spaces. We're doing the best we can with the resources we have, so that that comes up a lot. Um, but uh, we do try to be proactive in, in in things, trying to help teams you know keep those item those those environments secure, um, and then you know regular pen testing usually turns up things that we didn't catch. Um, and now we get to go have an actual a real conversation with some some uh, higher ranking managers with a nice stack of of paper, being like, "Look at all this stuff that y'all have to fix now." Um, but it it does give us an opportunity to be like, you know, to to come in and be like, "Hey, let's let's look at this and see maybe we can help y'all 
with some yeah. some future environments, future deployments. You know, let's let's work together on this and and try to help because you know, that's really what we're trying to do is just trying to help the rest of the business. Um, and and selfishly, it means in the end, uh, in long term, less work for the IT team if we can, you know, help them now versus trying to help them later. So. Yeah, well, it's less work for everybody, right? Like, hey, here, look, we got 12 results, you know, 12 high severity findings or whatever on this pen test. That's 12 P1s on your backlog that could have been avoided had we worked together in the development process. And I, you know, that that goes to that shift left mentality that or mantra that we've been, you know, it's kind of cliche now in the security world. But, um, you know, we've been pushing for as long as I've been in this business. Um you know, and, and so I think, you know, that that is an important thing and an important factor, especially in a situation like yours. But what I really like that you said there is that sometimes good enough just has to be good enough or best effort. You know, we, um, I think another area security can get better at is just understanding sometimes, you know what, you can't solve the problem and the business still has to move forward. So. How do you make it the least impactful? That's where we talk about like mitigating controls and things. Like what else could you do that's not going to force them to have to solve this big problem that you're unable to figure out how to solve? And instead, maybe you throw a WAF or something in front of it or you, you, you know, put it in a different environment, isolate it, whatever you got to do. Um, I, I feel like we, we kind of lose the willingness, I guess, as security professionals sometimes to go there because we just want – the 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 ideal solution from right that, that gold standard that's you know you, you've got that gold standard you know either in your mind or you know you were able to do it somewhere else you're like i have to get that I have, we have to get there with this you know and it it may be possible but it may just take more time and effort than what than what the, the people have available to do it so you know, there's there's other other areas you mentioned. You know, other mitigations, maybe up or downstream of whatever the environment that you can implement that may be easy, cheap, um, and yes, if somebody could physically you know plug into this one particular server in you know Google's cloud or data center, yeah, maybe they could do something. But you know, you've put some stuff in, on either side of that process to kind of mitigate mitigate the risks, and um, you know that's has to be good enough at some point. I mean, you can always circle back to stuff later when you're, you know, a multi-billion dollar company and you want to come back and, you know, have have a 300 person security team that you can dedicate to do stuff. But, you know, yeah. it's not not super re- or feasible in most cases. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that understanding of the business risk and how to apply appropriately is absolutely so. Um, Unfortunately, we're coming up on time, but this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I think we've addressed, like I said, some perspectives as we talked about at the very beginning that are easy to forget for those of us like myself who have worked in many large organizations who have million dollar budgets for cybersecurity. It's good to be reminded that a good portion of the world doesn't have that luxury and we still have to figure out, you know, how do we continue to protect ourselves? So thank you so much for joining today. I mean, it, it, again, it's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I'm glad to be here and uh, 
I'm glad I just made it on the the list of all the very impressive guests that you've had on the show. Listening to it before, I was like, oh man, these people with all their acronyms and and everything. I'm like, <laughs> I, I have to message Alyssa. She's I don't think she understands. That's that's not me. No, uh, you as I told you, this is what I wanted though. I I, I want to get various perspectives. Um, it's it, I mean that's the whole point. If we're talking about you know, securing the bridges, right? And building those bridges between these teams. We've got to understand all of the various perspectives that come into play here. And I can't thank you enough. So thank you for reaching out and being a part of the show. And hopefully, uh, you know, we, we can change some minds or refresh some memories here. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. Awesome. And thank all of you for joining in today. We had some good interaction, a lot of good comments from Phil and Kevin in particular. Um, We'll be back here again next week. We've got more great guests lined up. I can't wait to to show you more. So keep on coming back. As a reminder, of course, the recordings are available right away. So share it far and wide. Let your friends, family, whoever you know, um, let them know. know, And certainly, as always, as well, the podcast version of this will be available in a a couple days. So keep an eye out on the ITSP website. You can find those past episodes find this episode in a couple days love to have you keep coming back so for now thank you everybody for joining us we'll see you again soon we hope you enjoyed this episode of securing bridges podcast with Alyssa miller if you learned something new and this podcast made you think then share itspmagazine.com with your friends family and colleagues If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.